All right, well, good morning. Let me add my welcome to Nathaniel and others. My name is Marshall Brown. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Presbyterian. I do want to welcome those of you who are joining us online as well. But let me pray. I'm going to pray a little bit longer than I normally would before a sermon because there's so much going on in our world, uh, even right now as we uh, gather here together. So let's pray before we look at this passage. God, as we uh, sit here in the comfort of the North Shore, an air-conditioned room, a beautiful room, our minds, we take our minds, God, and we cast our prayers with those who are suffering. Uh, We pray, first of all, for the situation in Afghanistan. We pray for the families who lost loved ones, both the 13 Americans and the many others uh, by the suicide bomb. But God, we pray. We pray for Afghanistan. We pray for the church in Afghanistan. God, we pray for Haiti. It just keeps getting battered, keeps getting beaten. Uh, We pray that you would have mercy on that nation, Lord. It needs it so badly. We pray for the team going down from our presbytery today with medical supplies and medical personnel, that you would first keep them safe, but more importantly, that you would allow them to bring real tangible service to those in need, the orphans, the widows, those who are uh, so in harm's way because of what has happened in the last two months in that country with the earthquake and with the assassination of the president. And God, our minds are also with our Southern American friends, particularly in the state of Louisiana, as they face the onslaught, probably starting now, of this terrible storm, maybe the worst storm in 150 years. God, please have mercy on our brothers and sisters down there, particularly pray for the churches, that they would rise up, care for one another, care for their neighbors. God, please be with Louisiana right now. God, as we turn our attention to another picture of devastation, the devastation of Habakkuk 3, 2,700 years ago, We pray that you would be with us. We pray that you would take these ancient words that in many ways feel so distant to our comfortable situation on the North Shore. Take these words and bring them to bear for us that we might rejoice and believe even like your servant Habakkuk. We pray this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, uh, we've been studying the book of Habakkuk. Today is the last sermon on the book of Habakkuk. I must tell you, I am sad to leave Habakkuk. It's been a lot of fun for me. Uh, to preach this series, I heard great things about the sermon that Nick preached last week on Habakkuk chapter 2. So I'm sad about it. Even though I'm excited about the sermon series, we're about to start meeting Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, but I'm going to miss Habakkuk. I mean, for, for starters, I resonate this, I think you do too, with this story, the story of deep heartache, and as we'll see this week, deep joy. There's anger in Habakkuk, but there's also great faith in Habakkuk. I mean, this is a book that if you think about it, if you remember the first sermon a month ago, it begins with complaint and distress. And as we will see, it ends here today in singing in joy, despite the fact that devastation is even worse than it was in chapter 1. I like the way one author put it, Habakkuk is like a song of the night, anticipating the glad arrival of the eternal dawn. But I think the real reason I'm sad to leave the book of Habakkuk is I really like Habakkuk. I told you in the first week I want to be more like Habakkuk, and I'm going to miss studying him and thinking about him and spending time with him during the week and then with you on Sunday mornings. I mean, here's a guy who wrestles with God. Uh, He brings his whole self to God in complaint. I love that image of him in Habakkuk 2, standing on the rampart, standing on the city wall, puffing his chest out at God, waiting for God to reply, this is my complaint, God, what are you going to say to me? I'm ready for it, bracing himself. And yet, as bold as he is, he is also, he has one of the most rare qualities I see in human beings. He is willing to have his mind changed. Willing to have his mind changed. He's close enough to God to complain, and he's close enough to trust God, even when he does not like or understand 
God's answers. Through it all, Habakkuk the man embodies the main message, the theme of the book of Habakkuk, the righteous, the just, will live by faith. And so today we're going to look at Habakkuk 3 and the faith there. We're going to look at the prayer of faith, the God of faith, and mainly the man of faith. I'm be real honest, I'm going to move real quickly for the first two points. The sermon doesn't begin, well, pay attention, but the sermon begins in earnest in just a moment. And I'll tell you when it does. So the prayer of faith, verses 1 and 2. I want you to do look with me real quick, though. Look at verse 1 and look at verse 19. They both have musical notations. This is a song, which is to say this is joyful. Actually, at the end of this service and in this sermon, I should say we will sing this song. Katie has written words uh, to part of this chapter, and we will sing it very appropriately because it's beginning and end, it's bracketed by these musical notations. But verse 2, I want to look at. Look at it with me real quickly. Let me read it again. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. The Bible scholar Chris Wright points out that verse 2 is a prayer with three key moves. First, Habakkuk recalls God's great acts in history. He hears, I've heard of your fame, he says. But then second, Habakkuk asks God to ask a with that, pa- that past knowledge of God, he says, take that power and apply it in the present. Renew the work in your day, in our day, he says. Other translations say, revive the work in our day. And then third, he asks God to remember his mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. You see, this is a prayer of someone who knows God. He knows the biblical history. He knows the biblical story. He remembers how powerful God has been. But he takes that past history and he makes an application to his contemporary situation, trusting that God is powerful. And then he remembers and reminds himself and reminds God of God's gracious and merciful character. He brings all three of those things in his prayer. And I just commend to you, this is a model for prayer. God's past activity, God's present power, and his plea for mercy. So that's the prayer of faith. Let's look secondly, quickest point in the history of Grace Presbyterian Church. Second point, uh, the God of faith, verses 3 through 15. These are the, the God of faith. This is, if you, we were to read these verses again, I would, I would highlight for you that this is the language of Exodus. This is the language of Mount Sinai. This is the language of the wilderness wanderings. And just as an aside, if you want to understand the scriptures, if you want to understand the Bible, there are a couple things you really have to know and understand. You have to know and understand the function of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You have to understand this idea of covenant. You have to understand this idea of the kingdom of God. Uh, there's, there's other key ideas, but one of the key ideas, if you're going to understand the scriptures, you have to understand the exodus. The exodus. Remember the exodus. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God's people, the Israelites, under the leadership of Moses, are redeemed from their bondage. God uses plagues, especially the last one, the Passover, the death of the firstborn. He, he takes his uh, children through the Red Sea, the great crossing of the Red Sea, where the waters come back on Pharaoh and his army. Ultimately, we have the revelation of God's law and his character at, the, at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Okay, the Exodus. And what Habakkuk is doing is he's looking back in history. He's looking back to history as a template, as a template for how God might work again, even in Habakkuk's own day, even in our own day. Let's look at a couple of the highlights. Verses 3 and following, God is pictured as a divine warrior, as he is in the Exodus account, who fights for his people. Verse 4, there's flashes of lightning, reminiscent of Mount Sinai with the thunder and the lightning. Verse 5 mentions plagues, reminiscent, of course, of the plagues against Egypt. Verses 8 and verse 15 mention partings of bodies of water, reminiscent of the parting of the Red Sea and the parting of the Jordan River. 
Verses 12 to 15 uh, speak of the crushing of the enemy as Pharaoh and his army were crushed. I do want to highlight one thing before we move along, and that is that verse 13, key verse, is the answer to Habakkuk's questions. If you were to go back in chapter 1, uh, you would be reminded that, first of all, in verses 2 through 4 of chapter 1, Habakkuk had asked God if God was ignoring wrongdoing. God, do you not care about injustice? Do you not care about wrongdoing? And then later in the chapter, he asked, God, do you, are you going to allow these violent, awful Babylonians to go unpunished? In verse 13 is a picture of the answer that God is going to remember his covenant. It's going to take years, but he's going to act on his people's behalf. He will deliver them, which is to say the answer to Habakkuk's complaint is that God does, in fact, keep his promises. And that's one of the best things I can tell you today. God keeps his promises. Now, the how and the when... We don't always know. For Habakkuk, it would be an answer of 70 years and then an answer of 90 years and then ultimately not until Christ in the end of time. But God keeps his promises. That's what this prayer is saying. That's what this word of the faith about God is saying. So we see the prayer of faith. We see the God of faith. But what I really want to slow down is the man of faith. And this is where the sermon starts, okay? Um, verses 16 to 19. I want to say three things about the man of faith because I love this picture. These are some of the most beautiful uh, verses in all of Scripture. Three things. The first thing we see about true faith, Habakkuk's faith, is that true faith, true faith grieves. It grieves. Let me look, look with me at verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Now verse 16, the first half of the verse, is Habakkuk's emotional reaction to the judgment that is coming on his homeland. The judgment on Judah. Because what's going to happen likely in about 20 years, 15, 20 years from the time of this prophecy, Judah will be devastated. They will be crushed, they will be conquered, their temple, the temple that Solomon had built, will be destroyed, they will be carried off into exile, they will live in poverty. And at the thought of that, Habakkuk says, my body trembles, rottenness enters my bones. He is devastated about what is about to happen to his beloved home country of Judah. And he takes the time to say it, he actually writes it out. And one thing about faith, and this is countercultural, faith is not Pollyanna, okay? It's not stick your head in the sand and act like everything's okay and put a smile over everything. Rottenness in the bones, Habakkuk says. Real faith is real. Real faith grieves. Real faith laments. I've suggested this before, but I believe that one of the great threats to modern society and to the modern church is our inability to grieve. The costly loss of lament. Someone gave me a book uh, this week that I have not yet read, but I like the list of authors who are in it. It's an edited volume, and it's about the racial struggle in America, and it's titled Weep With Me. And I haven't read the book, so I can't, you know, but it's suggesting that one of the main paths to healing for racial struggles in our country is lament. Weep with me. I think that's also true for how we process the pandemic. Because with both COVID and race, there's been so much loss. We've lost small things like the ability to travel. We've lost large things like life. We've lost the ability. Some of us haven't seen our family in 18 months. The loss of trust, the loss of relationship, fractured, right? There's so much to grieve. 
And the temptation, as modern people, is instead of grieving, we rush to answers, right? We rush to judge, we rush to qualify, we rush to protect our interests. And Habakkuk demonstrates to us that real faith takes the time to grieve, to weep with me, to name the sadness, to name the hurt. Because here's the thing, and this is really good news about grief. Here's the thing about genuine grief. Grief moves. Grief moves. I'm not talking about depression. Depression doesn't move. Depression piles on itself. Depression holds in. Depression and grief are not the same thing. Grief expresses the sadness. It expresses the hurt. And in expressing, genuine grief moves. And in this case, godly grief moves to a quiet confidence. Look at the second half of verse 16. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. He is grieved, but then he trusts that God will do something. There's a confidence that though Judah will, in 20 years, Judah will suffer terrible destruction. But in 90 years, God will redeem his people. He will crush the Babylonians. He will redeem his people ultimately through Christ. This grieving moves towards trust, confidence. And with that, we come to some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. Because I don't want us just to see that faith grieves. I want us to see that faith rejoices. Faith rejoices. Take a moment this afternoon to write down verses 17, 18, and 19 of Habakkuk 3. Write it on a card. Tape it to your mirror. Wherever you need, memorize these verses. Memorize these. This is like a passport to Christian living. Don't read them now. I want you to just listen. Maybe close your eyes and listen to these beautiful words, especially remembering the story of Habakkuk. He writes, dare I say he sings, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail in the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. It's hard for us to feel just how devastating verse 17 is. Because what is pictured in verse 17 is that fruits, vegetables, sheep, cattle, basically everything that is food worthy, everything that is food worthy is taken away. We don't live in an agricultural society. We can't feel this. It's so hard for us to imagine what it would be like to wonder about our next meal. I'm almost 48 years old. I have personally never wondered about one meal, not one meal in my entire life. There are people today who feel like this. Can you imagine what it felt like to be in Kabul this last week? Think about that young man chasing that plane, willing to jump onto a C-130 at 120 miles an hour because he was so scared of what staying meant. Can you imagine what it's like to be in Haiti right now, tempted to violence so that your children can eat? Can you imagine what it feels like to be in South Louisiana right now with a storm bearing down, right? But in the midst of this, you would think, you would think that the message of Habakkuk would be, keep your head down, God is our refuge, Uh, let's just outlast the shelling. But what does Habakkuk say? Despite the fact that there is no prospect for food, Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. 
Habakkuk has learned to trust and he's learning to rejoice because rather than looking at his circumstances, he looks to God. And he makes a deliberate choice. He speaks to his own heart and he chooses joy. And he sings in the midst of this, sings through tribulation. One of the great stories of living and singing by faith this summer in our country is the story of Jane Markowski. I can't pronounce her last name. She goes by the stage name Nightbird. She's a professing Christian. And she took the stage early this summer, and I'm going to send this out in a weekly email, the clip to this, if you haven't seen this. She took the stage early this summer on the television show America's Got Talent. She is 30 years old, and she's on her third round of cancer, facing cancer for the third time. There's malignancy in her lungs, her spine, and her liver. She's been given a 2% chance of survival. When the third round of cancer came back, the most recent diagnosis, her husband said, I can't take it anymore, and he left her. So she goes on, America's Got Talent. She tells a version of that story that I'm alone, that I have cancer, and before she sang, right? And then she says, before she sang, she said, I need to know, people to know, I'm so much more than the bad things that happened to me. And then she sings a song that she wrote called, It's Okay. It's very personal. She has a lovely voice. After she sang the song, that she had written, Simon Cowell, if you know America's Got Talent, Simon Cowell, he's like steely-eyed cynic, right? Uh, the harshest critic. And he said, your voice is stunning, especially after all that you have been through. And she cut him off. She cut him off. And she said, you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore to decide to be happy. And Simon Cowell got emotional <laughs> before gathering himself and eventually uh, pushing the golden buzzer, which then it becomes farce. Um, but anyway, you can watch the video. You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. Though the fig not blossom, there are no olive, no uh, cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. You see, like Habakkuk, Nightbirds is a faith that sings through tribulation. Are you singing? Are you rejoicing? Are you rejoicing in the pandemic? Are you rejoicing with mask mandates? Are you rejoicing with whatever is going on in your life? Are you rejoicing in tribulation? Because faith grieves, and as I'll talk about in a moment, faith also rejoices. Those things go together, grieving and rejoicing. But the third thing that faith does, real faith does, and I think this is my favorite verse in the whole chapter, genuine faith thrives. Genuine faith thrives. Look with me at verse 19. This is astonishing. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on the high places. Now that is not language common to the 21st century. What this means, if you look through the Psalms, you'll see this refrain of a broad place. Psalm 31.8, David says, you set my feet in a broad place. Translation of a broad place, life is good. There's no danger. There's tranquility. There's peace. There's not a chance that I will stumble. There's not danger. But Habakkuk is saying, Habakkuk is saying, by my faith, I can tread the high places, the places that aren't broad. He is saying that by my faith, I can live in extreme circumstances. I can live in danger 
and I can thrive. The picture is like a sure-fitted deer or a mountain. Have you ever been to like these craggy mountains and you see a mountain goat or a deer? That they, how are they not falling? They don't fall. They're sure-footed. And that is what Habakkuk is saying. You have made my feet like that so that I can tread the heights. I can walk in extreme circumstances. I can face danger. Genuine faith thrives in extreme circumstances. It thrives in danger. Chris Wright again. So this closing picture of Habakkuk is of joy, strength, speed, and climbing. Not sitting back or opting out. Here is a man who knows God and where his strength comes from. We live in dangerous times, but God's mission goes on as it has through the darkest times and the darkest eras of history. Habakkuk. What a story, right? I love the book. I love the man, Habakkuk. I mean, he's an embodiment of chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous will live by faith. But if you're like me, you hear this story like, well, that's kind of intimidating. Uh, and I really hope that my country's not devastated like Habakkuk's was. So how do I grow in this faith? I mean, the key to understanding faith is faith only comes like this when you come to the end, to the end of yourself, where you have nowhere else to turn. And the reality is, is some of that is out of our control. I mean, you might wake up tomorrow to a cancer diagnosis. You might wake up to something terrible happening. But right now, your life might not be like Habakkuk 3, right? I mean, Habakkuk is facing devastation. Nightbird is facing divorce and cancer and death, right? But what can we do to cultivate this faith? I think there's four things that we can do to cultivate this type of faith. We can get risky. We can get real, we can get joy, and we can get Jesus. First, like Habakkuk, who trusted God, get risky. Is there anything you are currently doing that can only be explained by the fact that you trust God? Is there anything that you are currently doing that can only be explained by the fact that you trust God? Maybe it's a vocational change. Maybe it's complaining to God. There's some injustice in your life or around you and you're wrestling with God in prayer. Maybe it's the way you give your money. Is there something that you can only be explained by the fact that you trust God? Let me go from preaching to meddling. Fair warning. A danger of America, a danger of the North Shore, is that we ensure, we often ensure or buy our way out of or around suffering. We mitigate risk. We don't walk on the heights. We live by sight, not by faith. We live by control, not by trust. We live by insurance, IRA, 401k, and not by conviction. And the real danger, friends, and I feel this so acutely, is buying our children and our grandchildren out of and around suffering. I have a professor from seminary, now with the Lord, and he used to pray a prayer that, don't pray this prayer unless you mean it, but this is what it looks like to get risky, to pray a prayer like this. He used to pray, God, break me as gently as you would, but as severely as you must. God, break me as gently as you would, but as severely as you must. Don't pray that prayer unless you're ready for God to answer it in a difficult way. But that, friends, is a path. That getting risky is a path to the genuine faith we see in Habakkuk. Second, we don't just get risky. Like Habakkuk, complain to God and grieve. Get real. Do you have a complaint about God to God? An injustice? Something in your life or the world around you? Take it to God. Talk to him. 
grief, sickness, health, pandemic, take it to God. If you follow the Nightbird story, you know that it did not end with that glorious golden buzzer. After that first round, she was the fan favorite and she was the odds-on favorite to win America's Got Talent. But almost as soon as that thing had happened with all that, the cancer raged back and she had to withdraw from the competition. A while back, she wrote a blog. Let me quote from it. It's dangerous to quote things like this at length, but just listen to these words. She, wrote, she writes this, Nightbird. She said, I've had cancer now three times and I'm barely 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet with God, that he will say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure, he can never say he did not know me. I'm God's downstairs neighbor, banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. I've called God a liar and a cheat and I meant it. I've told him I wanted to die, and I meant that too. Tears have become the only prayer I know. They roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise, sunset. Call me bitter if you want. That's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. For I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale laid in his shadow, squinted to read what he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad, too. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scored, but that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I'm the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden from me. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they don't look low enough, and it's true. Look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. Get risky. Get real. Get low. Third, like Habakkuk and learning from Nightbird to get joy. I love her line. You can't wait until life isn't hard before you decide to be happy. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Friends, Grief and joy can be commingled simultaneously in the same heart. Grief and joy can be commingled simultaneously in the same heart. And one way to the path of this joy is to actually physically sing. To actually sing. One of the things I love about Nick Swan is that he laughs. He's got a great laugh and he sings so loud. I love it. I love it. And friends, and I'm especially speaking to the men. I'll be honest. I'm especially speaking to the men right now. Because we, we hold back, we don't really sing out. Singing is a path through. You actually cannot be sad when you're singing. Sing, sing in the service, sing at home, sing. Choose to be joyful amidst the circumstances of life. Sing. So to grow in faith, you get risky, you get real, you get joy. But most of all, but most of all, you get Jesus. Now Habakkuk did not know Jesus' name. He saw through a glass darkly, but friends, he saw Jesus. Make no mistake. By faith, he saw Jesus dimly. 
And what is the story of Jesus? Jesus left the realms of glory to be born a peasant, to live as a man. He died an unjust death. In the form of God, he emptied himself. He became poor and obedient even to the point of death. And when all the kickstands and props of his life were cucked out, you can see that he is the man of faith. You get to see Jesus as you get to him. Because as you get to Jesus, you can sing like Habakkuk in the midst of devastation. You can glow like Nightbird in the midst of cancer. You can, to put it in a word, you can live. The righteous shall live by faith. The life of faith is scary, make no mistake about it, but it is to be envied. And so my prayer for our congregation, for myself and for all of us, is that God would break us as severely as he must, as gently as he would, but as severely as he would, so that we might know what it means to live by faith. To live by faith. Amen. Let me pray for us. Our great God, we hear the story of Habakkuk, and it is a bit overwhelming. But we pray that by your grace that you would be gentle as you can, gentle as you can, Lord, please. But lead us to this place of living by faith that Habakkuk found in your mercy. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.